everyone, and welcome to Bookish Babbles, the podcast where we reread our favorite books and chat about them. I'm your host, Allison, and without further ado, let's get started. and welcome to episode 20 of bookish babbles today we are talking about the final three chapters of the hunger games we did it we made it to the end but just like with ballad i'm also sad that we're at the end but at least we have two more books with katniss though there is some there is something really special about book one and to be clear i love every single book in the series and yes that includes mockingjay and ballad of songbirds and snakes but if i had to pick one to be my favorite it's this first book uh probably because it feels like the most personal and intimate because we're just focused on Katniss and her survival story in this book but it still sets up all the big world conflicts that go on later in the books also there's this kind of haunting quality about the book that I can't quite explain probably probably because it's kids in the arena because Catching Fire is an amazing sequel and does a fantastic job raising the stakes but reading about adults fighting to the to the death isn't the same as kids you know uh anyway we got more casting news for ballad so we have uh very exciting that we have uh zoe renee as Alyssa strada aka the best mentor in this entire book um she's known for the 2018 movie Jin and a tv show called the quad we have amelie uh hoferle hope i said that right as vespania sickle uh, she's known for The Roadside Inn and Tapestry, the international stories of inspiring women. And we have um, Iomid Adigan, again, I hope I pronounced that correctly, as Pup Harrington. I believe this is his first movie, and he's also set to make his TV debut in The Continental, which is a star's original series starring Mel Gibson, so good for him. We have Caitlin uh, Kinpelumi as, as Demita. Uh, she's going to play Dot in the upcoming adaptation for School for Good and Evil. And she's also known for being in the 2017 film How to Talk to Girls at Parties. We have Sofia Sanchez as Wolvi, uh, known for the tw- 2022 film uh, Paloma. I think it might be a short film, but I'm not entirely sure. Don't quote me on that. So this could be her first like full feature debut. So good for her. Um, that's all the updates I've got so far. Still waiting for Dr. Gall. Uh, and the rest of the covey too. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get into the episode. So last week, uh, Katniss and Peeta cuddle and bond during a thunderstorm. Aw, Thresh dies. Not so great. Uh, Peeta accidentally kills Foxface and the final showdown is about to begin. This week, Cato meets a gruesome end. Katniss and Peeta win the games, but they've made the capital rather angry and their lives are going to get more complicated. So with all that being said, Uh, Let's dive into chapter 25. So this chapter picks up right where the last one left off. The surviving tributes are all running toward the cornucopia because they're being chased by uh, mutations because, of course, it's mutts. Um, Dr. Gall's legacy lives on, I guess. Um... According to Katniss, uh, these mutts resemble huge wolves, but these wolves can stand up on their hind legs. Yeah, totally not creepy at all. And one of the wolves is waving at the others like a person would. So, again, unsettling trying to picture that. 
And just as Katniss reaches the tail end of the cornucopia, she remembers Peta. And I think I've talked about this before, but I really like how Katniss isn't just, you know, a perfect, selfless heroine. Because she has flaws and she does have moments of selfishness. And I think most of us in this kind of situation would run and just think about getting away and barely spare a thought for whoever else could, or is with us. Um, anyway, Peter's about 15 yards behind Katniss. Kato's already climbed up to the top of the cornucopia. Katniss fires an arrow, kills one of the mutts, closing in on Peta, then climbs up since she can't protect them very well on the ground. And just to make things worse, because it has been sitting in the sun all day, the metal on the cornucopia is hot enough to give Katniss blisters, so yay. Uh, Kato's currently laying down on top, gasping to catch his breath. Uh, Katniss starts to get another arrow ready, since this will be her best chance to take Kato out, but then Peta's crying out. And saving his life is more important than anything else, in my opinion. Uh, Petus reached the tail of the cornucopia and the mutts are on his heels as he starts to climb. Katniss shoots another mutt in the throat and as it dies, it lashes out and wounds a couple other mutts. So it has really sharp claws. And as Katniss helps pull Peta up to safety, she checks on Kato. He's still doubled over and is currently more fixated on the mutts, which understandable they are currently the biggest threat and he asks if they can climb and i don't know something about that moment i feel like it's another small humanizing moment for kato kind of like the moment he has with clove as she's dying because as i've said before the text built kato up to be this huge threat we see him at we see him as a large trained killing machine but in that moment when he's asking like can they climb I don't know, maybe you read that scene differently, but it feels so vulnerable. And for, like, just a brief moment, Kato's almost kind of united with Katniss and Peeta. Because all three of them would be very concerned or whether or not the mutts could climb the cornucopia. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but uh, here's your reminder that as much as we don't like Kato, he's still just a teenage boy uh, who was brainwashed to be a killing machine. And... In the end, he just dies, uh, doesn't get to live his life. Uh, he just dies for the amusement of the capital. Anyway, that thought. Uh, the mutts are assembling. Uh, they stand on the ba- They stand on their back legs, giving them an eerily human quality, as Katniss puts it. Each of the mutts has a thick uh, coat of fur. Some of the fur straight, some curly, and they're all various shades of color. And they communicate with each other, making high-pitched yipping sounds. Again, totally not creepy at all. Uh, Then the mutts uh, back up to make room, and one with blonde fur jumps high and lands just ten feet below them. Hangs there for a moment, and Katniss gets a better look at it. And she notices that the mutt has pink lips and very human-like green eyes, and is wearing a collar with the number one on it. And yes, the mutt is Glimmer, the girl from District 1. Uh, Katniss naturally freaks out. She shrieks, and once she realizes this and fires an arrow at the mutt, despite, you know, her dwindling supply and the mutt's already falling down, uh, she looks around the rest of the pack and sees one that looks like Boxface, another one who looks like the boy from Nine, and worst of all, there's a small one that looks like Rue. So yeah, all the mutts are designed to look like the dead tribute. And I have no words except, what the fuck, game makers? Like, this is a whole new level of sadistic and evil. And 
It's just an unnecessary level of torture for the tributes. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the movie, they're just generic giant hounds that go after them, which, mind you, is still pretty scary. I remember the whole theater, like, jumping when the first one was, reve was revealed, and <laughs> jump scares get me every time, no matter how many times I see a movie. Uh, but what they do in the book just adds a whole nother level of psychological torture, and I also think it's a good reminder of just how evil the capital really is, because like I've said in previous episodes, all throughout part one, we kind of get caught up in the glamour of the capital. Katniss describes all the amazing food she gets to eat. She wears amazing outfits um, at the events. Crowds cheer for her. Basically, she gets the royal treatment and her almost lures us into a false sense of security. And just like the Avoxes, these mutts are a wake-up call. And to make this whole thing even worse, as Katniss points out, it's possible that these mutts have been given the tributes' memories and worries that they've been programmed specifically to hate the living tributes, especially since some of them are responsible for their murders. And, we, and I don't think we ever get that question directly answered. So now the mutts are trying a new strategy. Um, they are now using their powerful legs to launch themselves at them. One is just inches away from Katniss before it falls back on the ground. Peta, however, is not so lucky. Uh, one of the mutts gets a hold of one of his legs and starts to drag him over the side. Katniss is able to keep a hold of them and manages to keep both of them hanging on the cornucopia. Peta then manages to kill the mutt and Katniss pulls him back up. Uh, luckily, Kato isn't on his feet yet, but he'll soon recover enough strength to come after them. Katniss takes out another mutt, one who looks like Thresh. And just as Katniss is ready to turn around and face Kato, uh, Peta's yanked from her side and Kato has him trapped in a headlock. Katniss loads one of her last two arrows and searches for a place to hit him. Uh, he's wearing some kind of armor that he must have gotten from the capital when they all got their bags from the feast. Uh, but they didn't give him a face guard. Uh, unfortunately, there's also a flaw in Katniss's idea. Kato's close enough to the edge where if Katniss hits him, he'll take Peta down over the edge with him. So now they're at a standstill since Kato knows that if he does kill Peta right then and there, Katniss will shoot him. But then we soon realize that Kato's plan is to basically suffocate Peta and, and then use his body as a weapon against Katniss. Uh, but then Peta, continuing to be brilliant even when getting the life choked out of him, uses uh, the blood coming out of his leg to draw an X on the back of Kato's hand. Katniss fires her arrow and... And Kato realizes a second too late what's happening. He reflexively lets go of Peta, who then slams back against him. For just a moment, it looks like both of them are going to go tumbling over the edge. But luckily, Katniss catches Peta just in time. Whew, thank goodness. Um, the two of them hold each other, waiting for the cannon to fire. But the game makers won't let that happen. Because this is the grand finale, and the audience won't want to show. It doesn't help that Kato's... Body armor is helping him prolong his life, and at one point he even gets close to climbing back onto the cornucopia, but is ultimately overpowered by the mutts. Uh, then an hour passes before the mutts drag Kato inside the cornucopia, but he still doesn't die. Meanwhile, uh, Peta's lake is now bleeding as badly as ever, and since all their supplies are still down by the lake, Katniss has to take her shirt off from under her jacket and use it to wrap his leg. 
and has to force him to stay awake for fear that if he does, he'll die. And this is something I always forget about when I go for a while without reading the book. And is that during this whole fiasco, Peta was really close to dying. Sure, the movie, his leg was a little messed up, but he wasn't bleeding out the way he is in the book. And anyway, just to make everything worse, uh, they have to huddle together as they listen to Kato fighting the mutts for hours. And I know the people in the capital are brainwashed and, you know, into the Hunger Games and all that, but are they really into what's happening to Kato right now? Like, it's a teenage boy being mauled at for hours and just being slowly tortured as he's dying. So what's the point of that? Where Where's the entertainment value in that? I don't understand it. Um, Kato is by no means a character that I particularly like, but this is too much. No one deserves that. And not to sound too horrible, but not winning is probably the best thing for Kato, because we see in Catching Fire that Katniss has really bad PTSD from the games. I can only imagine how bad it would be for Kato since he had to fight mutts who look like not only people that he killed, but people that he allied with, maybe even considered friends on some level. And I don't even want to think about what was going through his head when he saw a mutt that looked like Clove. Anyway, uh, at some point the sun starts rising and Kato's still not dead. Uh, when the mutts uh, finally drag him out of the cornucopia, Katniss gets an arrow ready, hoping for an opening for a mercy kill. And this is the passage from the book. It takes a few moments to find Cato in the dim light, in the blood. Then the raw hunk of meat that used to be my enemy makes a sound, and I know where his mouth is. And I think the word he's trying to say is, please, pity, not vengeance, sends my arrow flying into his skull. And then a cannon fires. Yeah, so, something I really appreciate about this moment is how it doesn't gloss over the reality and the awfulness of it. Like, it's not presented to us as a moment of triumph. We're not happy because, you know, the big bad is dead because Cato is not the big bad. Um, he's just a messed up kid who had a very gruesome end. And the movie does touch on how awful his ending is. And... It doesn't feel like a triumphant moment even in the movie, but it's short. And, you know, I get they have to cut on time in the movie, but I kind of wish they had, I don't know, done something where they cut, or like keep cutting away to show time passing so we could uh, see how dragged out Kato's death is and how much of a toll mentally it is for Katniss and Peeta to witness. Uh, anyway, Katniss and Peeta wait, but nothing's happening. No trumpet sound, no one's announcing them as victors, something is obviously very wrong but they make their way down to the lake to move away from the body wondering if that's what they're supposed to do of uh, craft comes to take kato's body but still nothing else happens uh, then claudius makes another announcement telling them that the rule change has been revoked so now there can only be one winner and then truth hits them and us the readers the game makers never intended for both of them to win it was all a big manipulation to make sure there was a big dramatic showdown because, you know, what's more epic and dramatic than the two star-crossed lovers having to decide which one of them will live and which one will die? Um, Peter pulls a knife from his belt and Katniss aims her arrow at his heart, obviously expecting him to attack. Uh, Peter is completely unfazed by the arrow pointed at him and throws the knife into the lake. 
Katniss drops her weapon and her face is burning with shame. Peeta tells her to do it. So since there's only a few pages left of the chapter, there's nothing else I can really do except uh, read them because this is one of the most important scenes in the whole series and it completely changes the course of Penham's history. So I'm going to start on page 343 when Peeta says, do it. Peeta limps toward me and thrusts the weapon back in my hand. I can't, I say. I won't. Do it, before they send those mutts back or something. I don't want to die like Cato, he says. Then you shoot me, I say furiously, shoving the weapon back at him. You shoot me and go home and live with it. And as I say it, I know death right here, right now, will be the easier of the two. You know I can't, Peeta says, discarding the weapon. Fine, I'll go first anyway. He leans down and rips the bandage off his leg, eliminating the final barrier between his blood and the earth. No, you can't kill yourself, I say. I'm on my knees, desperately plastering the bandage back onto his wound. Katniss, he says, it's what I want. You're not leaving me here alone, I say. Because if he dies, I'll never go home. Not really. I'll spend the rest of my life in this arena trying to think my way out. Listen, he says, pulling me to my feet. We both know they have to have a victor. It can't. It can only be one of us. Please take it for me. As he goes on about how he loves me, what life would be without me, I've stopped listening because his previous words are trapped in my head, thrashing desperately around. We both know they have to have a victor. Yes, they have to have a victor. Without a victor, the whole thing would blow up in the game makers' faces. They'd have failed the capital, might possibly even be executed, slowly and painfully while the cameras broadcasted to every screen in the country. If Peter and I were both to die, or they thought we were, my fingers fumble with the pouch on my belt, freeing it. Peter sees in, his hand claps my wrist. No, I won't let you. Trust me, I whisper. I hold my gaze for a long moment and he lets me go. I loosen the top of the pouch and pour a few spoonfuls of berries into his palm. Then I fill my own. On the count of three, Peter leans down and kisses me once, very gently. The count of three, he says. We stand, our backs pressed together, our empty hands locked tight. Pull them out. I want everyone to see, he says. I spread out my fingers, and the dark berries glisten in the sun. I give Peter's hand one last squeeze as, as a signal, as a goodbye, and we begin counting. One, maybe I'm wrong. Two, maybe they don't care if we both die. Three, it's too late to change my mind. I lift my hand to my mouth, taking one last look at the world. The berries have just passed my lips when the trumpets begin to blare. The frantic voice of Claudius Templesmith shouts above, Stop! Stop! Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to present the victors of the 74th Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen and Peter Malark. I give you the tributes of District 12. And with that being said, it's time for a break. When we get back, we'll talk about Chapter 26. Hey guys, it's Allison from a different point in time, and I'm here to give you another random recommendation. So, decided to recommend another musical, because why not? I can. Um, so, uh, one of my favorite Disney movies is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. And has beautiful animation, great story, and one of the best uh, Disney soundtracks ever. And naturally, there's also a stage adaptation that never quite made it to Broadway, but it's a show that I really want to see live. It's a little bit darker. It's like, because the book's like super dark and the Disney movie's not quite as dark. So this stage musical falls somewhere in between those two things and has some new original songs, songs from 
the movie and it's one of the shows i really want to see live or i really want to be in the ensemble for and the score is just so gorgeous so if you haven't listened to the hunchback of notre dame go, go do that now it, it's it's one of the best things ever so nothing more to say than that so with that being said um let's get back to the episode And we're back. Uh, so this chapter picks up where the last one left off. Katniss and Peeta spit out the berries and wash out their mounts with the water from the lake. Then the hovercraft materializes and picks them both up. The minute they get on, Peeta collapses unconscious. Doctors pick him up and immediately start operating on him. Once again, reminding everyone how close Peeta was to dying in that moment uh, before the hovercraft got, got them. While the doctors operate Katniss has a moment where she thinks that she's back in the arena and the doctors are just another thing threatening Peta's life, so she lunges at them. So she's then thrown into a different room and a glass door sealed between them. And there's a really good passage on page 347, so I'm going to read that for you guys. It's like being home again when they bring in the hopelessly mangled person from the mine explosion, or the woman in her third day of labor, or the famished child struggling against pneumonia and my mother in prim, they wear the same look on their faces. Now is the time to run away to the woods, to hide in the trees until the patient is long gone and another part of the seam. The hammers make the coffin. But I'm held here both by the hovercraft walls and the same force that holds the loved ones of the dying. How often I've seen them, ringed around our kitchen table and thought, why don't they leave? Why do they stay and watch? And now I know it's because you have no choice. And that's how I know Katniss really does love Peeta and not even, and it doesn't even, and I don't even mean that quite in a romantic way yet. She just really loves and cares for him as a person. And I think it's beautiful. Anyway, um, then Katniss gets a glimpse of herself in the glass of reflection. Then Katniss gets a glimpse of herself in the glass reflection and at first doesn't recognize herself. As the hovercraft lands in the capital, Pete is taken away for more operations, and soon someone comes and knocks Katniss out with a needle. When she wakes up, she's strapped by the waist to a bed, and she's got a bunch of tubes sticking out of her right arm. Uh, but on the bright side, uh, the hearing in her left ear is back. And just as Katniss is about to start panicking because she's trapped in the bed, Lavinia comes in with a tray. Uh, Lavinia, for anyone who needs a reminder, being the red-headed Avox girl, her name's not revealed until Mockingjay, but it's easier to just call her that instead of constantly saying, Redhead Avox Girl. Anyway, Katniss can't ask too many questions since she's being monitored, uh, but she does ask if Peeta made it, uh, the least suspicious question that she has. And he did, because of course he did. The Capitals' technology is amazing. It's just too bad they won't share it with the rest of the country. Anyway, Lavinia leaves. Uh, Katniss eats broth and applesauce because... And she can barely even stomach that because uh, being in the arena shrunk her stomach. And, you know, I guess being in a high-stakes death arena where you don't regularly eat all the nutrients, food, nutritious food your body needs will do that for you. Huh, who'd have thunk it? Anyway, uh, we then learn that there's always a few days between the victor leaving the arena and the closing ceremonies. One, to give the stylist time to put the victor's outfits together. And more importantly, to make... 
to uh, patch up the victor and make them look like a perfectly polished person. You know, they're even kind enough to heal all of Katniss's scars. You know, so there's no physical evidence of all the shit that she went through in the arena. Because can't let the citizens see the reality that the victors go through. Oh no, just gonna gloss over it instead. Uh, anyway, no time to dwell on that. Uh, Katniss drifts in and out of consciousness multiple times. Basically, anytime she tries to get up, uh, she's was knocked out. Uh, she registers her the scars being gone and Lavinia not making another appearance. And she also thinks that she hears someone yelling. Spoiler alert, it's Hamish, but we'll soon learn why. Eventually, Katniss wakes up and she's not strapped down. There are no tubes in her and she's finally free to move around. And there's also an outfit laid out for her. It's the same outfit she and the other tributes wore in the arena. Um, a clean set, obviously. And I guess for dramatic purposes, the game makers want her to greet her team this in the same outfit as they last saw her in. But there's a definite level of cruelty making her wear the same outfit she wore during some of the most traumatic days of her life. Uh, anyway, so Katniss gets dressed and leaves the room, and there she finds Effie, Hamish, and Sinnoh waiting to greet her. And Katniss runs into Hamish's arm first, and he tells her, nice job, sweetheart. And there isn't even a little bit of sarcasm, so, aww. Peta and Portia are absent since the game makers want Katniss and Peta's reunion to be aired live during the, um, ceremony. Because, you know, gotta be dramatic as possible, I guess. Then Sina leads- Sina? Then Sina leads Katniss to the lobby of the training center, and we realize that the whole time Katniss has been in the hospital, she's been underground. And there's a moment in the elevator when Katniss thinks about all the dead tributes who will never return. And I, and she starts to have what I think could be considered a panic attack. But then that gets interrupted when the elevator door opens and her prep team is there to greet her. And it's easy to be distracted from your dark spiraling thoughts with those three around, so they really do come in handy. Uh, but in all seriousness, they are genuinely happy to see Katniss, so it is a really sweet moment. Uh, Katniss describes it as being happy to see, like, a beloved pet at the end of a long day. Uh, they sweep Katniss into the dining room and she's able to eat a real meal, though her portions are still being controlled since they deny her when she asks for seconds. After all, they don't want to risk her throwing up on stage. But Octavia still slips her an extra roll under the table. Because that's what heroes do. <laughs> um, after she eats, um, the prep team gets her ready. They also chatter continuously, meaning Katniss barely has to respond. Which is good, because she's not feeling very talkative. Can't imagine why. Because, uh, you know, what else do people in the capital talk about? Katniss also notices that as the prep team talks, they manage to make it about themselves. You know, what they were doing when certain things happened, how they felt when they happened, and this is definitely Suzanne calling out how we as a society sometimes center ourselves around tragedies, and it might have only gotten worse since social media exploded, but don't want to focus too much on the actual horror for the people who are directly affected by the thing. No, no, easier for the prep teens to talk about getting their eyebrows dyed instead of talking about how, you know, 22 families will never see their children again. Uh, in District 12, Kat according to Katniss, they have a very different reaction to the games. They watch because they have to and then get back to business as quickly as possible. Uh, once the prep teen is done, Cinna comes, comes in with a yellow dress, 
When Katniss puts it on, she notices that there's a padding over her breast and it gives her curves that have been at that. Yeah. And it gives her curves that uh, the game stole from her body. And Katniss understandably doesn't like this. But unfortunately, this was a compromise because apparently the game makers wanted to alter her surgically. And this was why Hamish had been yelling. He got into a big fight with the game makers over it. Thank you, Hamish, for being the best mentor ever because the idea of him, of them altering Katniss like that is just horrifying on so many levels. One, because they were going to do it without her permission while she was slipping in and out of consciousness. Um, and knowing what we learned from Finnick about how certain desirable victors are essentially sold into prostitution for the capital elite. This just, this just feels so gross. And, you know, just adding curves to make a 16-year-old girl look more sexy or whatever. Ugh, ugh, I feel gross just thinking about it. Ugh. And again, probably also to help cover up just how much weight Katniss has lost in the arena. Because again, gotta make sure the capital citizens aren't able to confront the realities of the Hunger Games. <laughs> but the dress is amazing, at least, because of course it is. Cinna designed it. Um, it shimmers and gives off the illusion of candlelight, and Katniss describes uh, the way that they dress her and put on her makeup and do her hair. They make her look like a young girl, innocent and completely harmless. And she senses there's some kind of calculated motive behind this look, but she can't quite piece together what it is yet. Uh, Katniss is then led under the stage in a poorly lit area. She's standing on a metal platform that will raise her onto the stage. Then Hamid shows up and requests a hug, which seems like an odd request, but Katniss obliges. And as soon as they hug, Hamid starts whispering in her ear. He tells her that she's in trouble. The Capitol is furious with her for the trick she pulled with the berries because if there's one thing that the Capitol can't handle, it's being shown up. You could say they're a bunch of sensitive snowflakes. <laughs> anyway, um, so right now, her only defense was that she was so madly in love with Peta that she wasn't responsible for her actions. And then when Katniss asked Hamish if he told Peta the same thing, he says, I don't have to. He's already there. But before she can wrap her head around those words, time for places. And we're almost at the end of the chapter. So instead of just, you know, recapping everything, I'm going to read you guys the last couple of pages since, uh, well, well, Katniss explains it better than I do. So you get that. I tug on my skirt, willing it to be longer, wanting it to cover the, the knocking in my knees. Then I realize it's pointless. My whole body shaking like a leaf. Hopefully it will be put down to excitement. After all, it's my night. The damp, moldy smell beneath the stage threatens to choke me. A cold, clammy sweat breaks out on my skin, and I can't rid myself of the feeling that the boards above my head are about to collapse, to bury me alive under the rubble. When I left the arena, when the trumpets played, I was supposed to be safe, from then on, for the rest of my life. But if what Hamish says is true, and he's got no reason to lie, I've never been in such a dangerous place in my life. It's so much worse than being hunted in the arena. There I can only die. End of story. But out here, Prim, my mother, Gail, the people of District 12, everyone I care about back home could be punished if I can't pull this off the girl driven crazy by love scenario Hamish has suggested. So I still have a chance, though. Funny, in the arena, when I poured out those berries, I was only thinking of outsmarting the game makers, 
not of how my actions would reflect on the capital, but the Hunger Games are their weapon and you're not supposed to be able to defeat it. So now the capital will act as if they've been in control the whole time and if, as if they'd orchestrated the whole event right down to the double suicide, but that will only work if I play along with them. And PETA, PETA will suffer too if this all goes wrong. But what was it Hamish said when I asked if he had told PETA the situation that he had to pretend to be desperately in love? Don't have to. He's already there. Already thinking ahead of me in the games again and well aware of the danger we're in? Or already desperately in love? I don't know. I haven't even begun to separate out my feelings about PETA. It's too complicated. What I did as part of the games as opposed to what I did out of anger at the Capitol or because of how it would be viewed back in District 12? Or simply it was, or simply because it was the only decent thing to do, or what I did because I cared about him. These are questions to be unraveled back home in the peace and quiet of the woods when no one is watching, not here with every eye upon me. But I won't have that luxury for who knows how long. And right now, the most dangerous part of the Hunger Games is about to begin. And with that being said, it's time for another break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about the last chapter of the Hunger Games. Hey guys, here with another random recommendation, and this is a book that I have not read yet, but I want to read very soon because I feel like it's a book a lot of us are going to want to read. Um, it's called Outlawed by Anna North. Uh, I'll read you guys the summary. In the year of our Lord, 1894, I became an outlaw. The day of her wedding, 17-year-old Ada's life looks good. She loves her husband and she loves working as an apprentice to her mother, a respected midwife, but after a year of marriage and no pregnancy, in a town where barren women are routinely hanged as witches, her survival depends on leaving behind everything she knows. She joins up with a notorious hole-in-the-wall gang, a band of outlaws led by a preacher-turned-robber known to all as the Kid. Charismatic, grandiose, and mercurial, the Kid is determined to create a safe haven for outcast woman, women. But to make this dream a reality, the gang hatches a treacherous plan that may get them all killed, and Ada must decide whether she's willing to risk her life for the possibility of a new kind of future for them all. Featuring an irresistible, no-nonsense, courageous, and determined heroine, Outlaw dusts off the myth of the Old West and reignites the glimmering promise of the, of the frontier with an entirely new set of feminist takes. Anna North has crafted a pulse-racing, page-turning saga about the search for hope in the wake of death and for the truth in a climate of small-mindedness and fear. So, yeah. Sounds really good. I don't read very many westerns. This sounds like one one western I would like, and I think um, anyone who want who enjoys camping should read this book as well. And and uh, if you are looking for a place to go camping, especially out of state, um, I'll put a resource in the show notes for you guys. So yeah, uh, Outlawed by Anna North. Uh, go check it out. I know I will very soon. Right now I'm reading. Um, what am I reading right now? I did start just start reading Sorcery of Thorns, and I want to finish that first before I move on to that book. But anyway, um, back to the episode. Okay, we're back here at the end of book one. I'm being dramatic right now, I know, but like I've said before in the past, this is my favorite book in the series, and I'm sad that it's going to be over. Anyway, let's do this! <laughs> 
Uh, so this chapter opens with the whole team being brought out on stage. First, the prep teams who are just beyond delighted and completely soaking up the spotlight. And they're very likely completely clueless to the danger that is currently surrounding them in that moment because of Katniss and Peeta. Um, then Effie's brought on stage, just like the prep team. She's also soaking everything up because uh, she has been waiting for this moment her whole life. But uh, she's a bit more aware than the prep team that Katniss is in some kind of trouble. Uh, Portia and Cinna receive big applause since they were obviously a big hit with the outfits they debuted. And now Katniss understands Sinna's choice for her outfit. She needs to look as young and innocent as possible in order to help her sell the idea that she was, you know, a young girl out of her mind in love. Um, Hamish gets an applause that lasts five minutes because not only is this the first time he's managed to bring home a victor for District 12, this is the first time that two victors get to go home. So, big historical moment. Katniss also wonders what would have happened if Hamish didn't tip her off about the Capitol being angry with her and having to keep up the madly in love act, uh, would she flaunt how clever she was with the berries, uh, making everything worse without realizing it? Who knows, but uh, I'm going to do another reading for you guys. So it's going to start on the bottom of page 360. Blinding lights, the deafening roar rattles the metal under my feet. Then there's Peta, just a few yards away. He looks so clean and healthy and beautiful. I can hardly recognize him. But his smile is the same, whether in mud or in the capital. His smile is the same, whether in mud or in the capital. And when I see it, I take about three steps and fling myself into his arms. He staggers back, almost losing his balance. And that's when I realize the slim metal contraption in his hand is some kind of cane. He writes himself and we just cling to each other while the audience goes insane. He's kissing me and all the time I'm thinking, do you know? Do you know how much danger we're in? After about 10 minutes of this, Caesar Flickerman taps on his shoulder to continue the show and Peter just pushes him aside without even glancing at him. The audience goes berserk. Whether he knows it or not, Peter is, as usual, playing the crowd exactly right. Eventually, Hamish interrupts them and leads them over to the victor's chair. This year, it's a red love seat. Aww. And I got another junk mail. And the two of them are cuddling, looking adorable, and the audience is no doubt loving it. I know I would. And I am. Despite that I know what's really going on. Whoops. Uh, Caesar makes a few more jokes, and then it's showtime. Uh, basically, they have to watch a three-hour recap of the games, all the clips edited together like a movie to tell a story. This is probably another reason that there's like a three-day gap between this night and when the victor leaves the arena to give what the poor editors that are hired time to condense everything and choose which uh, clips will go into the recap and what kind of story will be told that year. Because, you know, if you want to have a successful reality show, gotta have a good story. Uh, this year, for the first time, they get to tell a love story. Ah, Too bad that their lives are still on the line. But anyway, Katniss and Peeta now get to watch the highlights of all the times they almost died. But at least all the footage being shown kind of helps uh, support the whole uh, crazy in love act that Katniss needs to do. Uh, the first half of... Yeah, the first half an hour focuses on... On, like, all the pre-arena events... There's even upbeat music playing in the background, which just feels so wrong when you remember that almost everyone on screen is dead. Uh, then there's detailed coverage of the bloodbath, 
which has to be horrifying to watch, and it cuts between shots of the deaths and shots of Katniss and Peeta. And Peeta being the one who's really carrying the romance surprise surprise, which, by the way, quick side note, um, I really do appreciate, um, I think, like, the first time I read this book, it was the first time I read any kind of story where it was the guy who was being, you know, the softer, more romantic one, which is refreshing from all the brooding bad boys that I felt like I kept seeing all the time in the 2000s, and just proves that gender roles are stupid and meaningless. Uh, people should just be able to express themselves in whatever feels natural for them. Anyway, now Katniss gets to see what the audience saw. Uh, Peta did mislead the careers. Uh, he had stayed up all night to, uh, when they were sleeping under the tracker jacker tree. And he fought off Kato to protect her and even says her name in his sleep while he's hiding in all the mud. Katniss thinks that she seems heartless by comparison until she goes looking for Rue. And the filmmakers decide to replay her death in full. They do cut out the part where Katniss covers her in flowers. Too rebellious, I guess. Anyway, uh, things pick up for Katniss once the rule change is announced and she calls out Peta's name she, and then finding him, nursing him back to health, risking her life at the feast, all that good stuff. And one thing that isn't mentioned is uh, Thresh and Kato's fight in the storm. But I guess it's not that important to the story. Or Katniss just blocked the moment out because, you know, she really liked Thresh and didn't want to remember it, which I, could, I can understand. Uh, anyway, what we do know is that Kat Katniss got to witness Kato's death again, but in more gruesome detail. Yay. And Katniss kind of detaches herself from the whole thing a bit, feeling like she's watching things happen to other people rather than, you know, something that she was a part of. Which, I don't blame her. I can't even imagine what that must be like. And... Then comes the moment with the berries, and the filmmakers continue to be helpful by not ending with the moment of their victory, but with the moment when Katniss is behind the glass, pounding on it and calling out Peta's name as he's being operated on, and it's her best moment to support the whole crazy in love act. Uh, then once the movie's done, the anthem plays again, and President Snow comes out, followed by a little girl who I headcanon is his granddaughter. Anyway, the little girl is carrying a cushion with a crown on it. There's a moment of confusion, but then Snow snaps it in half. First, Snow puts a crown on Peta's head and manages to smile. But for Katniss, it's a bit of a different story. Uh, in the book, it says, He's still smiling when he settles the second on my head, but his eyes, just inches from mine, are as unforgiving as a snake's. That's when I know that even though both of us would have eaten the berries, I am to blame for having the idea. I'm the instigator. I'm the one to be punished. So yeah, uh, old Corio's upset. I don't think he likes being reminded of Lucy Gray. You know, girl from District 12, winning the games in a controversial way. Uh, not to mention uh, when she sang Rue to Death, she was singing a song that Lucy Gray had sung. So yeah, Corio's starting to feel threatened. And I will be calling him Corio and Snow interchangeably during this whole read-along because th there's something satisfying about calling one of the worst people ever by his childhood nickname because if anyone needs to be humbled it's him anyway uh then Peta and Katniss are whisked away to the president mansion for the victory banquet where they have very little time to eat since they are greeted by seemingly an 
endless line of officials wanting to take their pictures, thanking sponsors, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the one thing Katniss never does is let go of Peta's hand, which, aw. And as the first hint of dawn approaches, uh, they are then taken to the training center. Katniss hopes for a moment alone with Peta, but Hamish immediately separates them and sends them off to bed. Also, Katniss finds her door locked at one point. Totally not suspicious, uh, but we can't dwell on that. Time for the final interview. Uh, Katniss and Peta cuddle up on the love seat again. Aw, and it's a little more of a private, intimate setting since there isn't a big audience like they did on the interview night the night before the games. And, and, um... Interview starts out easy. Caesar and Peta have easy banter. Katniss only has to chime in occasionally. Uh, then they get to get into how, you know, they hope, fell in love. How for Peta it was love at first sight. And for Katniss it, like, re- like really hit her when that she had feelings for Peta when it was announced both could win. Because she's like, this is when I knew I could keep him. Aw, she's doing her part well. Um, and then they get to the moment where they talk about the berries and Katniss manages to get, get out the answer Hamish coached her to do. And then it's over. Hamish tells her that she did well. Then Katniss goes back to her room to collect a few things, but nothing to take back but the Mockingjay pin. Katniss mentions that she barely has time to say goodbye to Sin and Portia, but that's okay because she'll see them soon for the victory tour. Yay! Uh, then they're on the train with Hamish and Effie. They eat a big dinner on the train and watch the recap of the interview. And there is no other way for me to close this chapter and this book other than doing a, a reading for the last few pages. Because uh, not only is this the end, um, it helps set up some of the problems and drama that will happen in the next book. So here we go. With the capital growing further away every second, I begin to think of home, of Prim and my mother, of Gail. I excuse myself to change out of my dress and into a plain shirt and pants. As I slowly, thoroughly wash the makeup from my face and pull my hair in its braid, I begin transforming back into myself, Katniss Everdeen. A girl who lives in the seam, hunts in the woods, trades in the hob. I stare in the mirror as I try to remember who I am and who I am not. By the time I join the others, the pressure of Peta's arm around my shoulder feels alien. When the train makes a brief stop for fuel, we're allowed to go outside for some fresh air. There's no longer any need to guard us. Peta and I walk along the track hand in hand, and I can't find anything to say now that we're alone. He stops to gather a bunch of wildflowers for me. When he presents them, I work hard to look pleased, because he can't know that the pink and white flowers are the tops of of wild onions, and only remind me of the hours I've spent gathering them with Gale. Gale. The idea of seeing Gale in a matter of hours makes my stomach churn. But why? I can't quite frame it in my mind. I only know that I feel like I've been lying to someone who trusts me, or more accurately, to chew people. I've been getting away with it up to this point because of the games, but there will be no games to hide behind back home. What's wrong? Peta asks. Nothing, I say. We continue walking past the end end of the train, out where even I'm fairly sure there are no cameras hidden in the scrubby bushes along the track. Still, no words come. Hamish startles me when he lays a hand on my back. Even now, in the middle of nowhere, he keeps his voice down. Great job, you two. Just keep it up in the district until the cameras are gone. We should be okay. I watch him head back to the train, avoiding Peta's eye. 
What's he mean? P Peta asked me. It's the capital. They didn't like our stunt with the berries, I blurt out. What? What are you talking about? He says. It seemed too rebellious, so Hamish has been coaching me through the last few days, so I didn't make it worse, I say. Coaching you? But not me, says Peta. He knew you were smart enough to get it right, I say. I didn't know there was anything to get right, says Peta. So what you're saying is, these last few days, and then I guess back in the arena, that was just some strategy you two worked out? No, I mean, I couldn't even talk to him in the arena, could I? I stammer. But you knew what he wanted you to do, didn't you, says Peta. I bite my lip. Katniss. He drops my hand and I take a step as if to catch my balance. It was all for the games, Peta said. How you acted. Not all of it, I say tightly, holding onto my flowers. Then how much? No, forget that. I guess the real question is, what's going to be left when we get home, he says. I don't know. The closer we get to District 12, the more confused I get. He waits for further explanation, but none's forthcoming. Well, let me know when you work it out, he says, and the pain in his voice is palatable. I know my ears are healed because even with a rumble in the engine, I can hear every step he takes back to the train. By the time I have climbed aboard, Peter has disappeared into his room for the night. I don't see him the next morning either. In fact, the next time he turns up, we're pulling to District 12. He gives me a nod, his face expressionless. I want to tell him that he's not being fair, that we're strangers, that I didn't, that I did what it took to stay alive, to keep us both alive in the arena, that I can't explain how things are with Gail because I don't know myself. That's no good loving me because I'm never going to get married anyway and he just end up hating me later instead of sooner. That if I do have feelings for him, it doesn't matter because I'll never be able to afford the kind of love that leads to family, to children. And how can he? How can he after what we've just been through? I also want to tell him how much I already miss him, <clears throat> but that wouldn't be fair on my part. So we just stand there silently. Watching our groomy little station rise up around us. Through the window, I can see the platforms thick with cameras. Everyone will be eagerly watching our homecoming. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Peta extend his hand. I look at him unsure. One more time. For the audience, he says. His voice isn't angry. It's hollow. Which is worse. Already, the boy with the bread is slipping away from me. I take his hand, holding on tightly, preparing for the cameras and dreading the moment when I will finally have to let go. Ah! And with that being said, with, we are at the end. I have no words other than to say thank you so much for listening. I have a wrap-up, uh, final thoughts uh, episode for this for this book coming out soon, so we can dive into all that next time. And then after that, I'm going to have some friends on. We're going to talk about the movie. And I have a feeling that episode is going to be long. I'll probably end up splitting it into parts because me and my friends could talk about The Hunger Games for hours. As you guys saw when I did uh, the ballad wrap-up episode with Gabby. Um, don't forget to follow, subscribe, so you get notified when I post new episodes, including bonus episodes that I occasionally do. Link to Instagram the sh show notes uh, that I sometimes remember to post on. Whoops. Um... Anyway, I hope you guys have a great day slash night, and I will talk to you next time. Bye!